Let us return then to Amos chapter 6, which we shall look at tonight. We have been going through this minor Old Testament prophet, and we have found him to be an uncompromising uh, preacher, and he is identifying the sins of the people, and he is not cutting any corners. And it would help us maybe just to realize again the, the situation that he was ministering under. He was sent primarily to Israel, to the ten tribes in the north. And at that particular time, financially, many of them were doing quite well. Under Jeroboam II, things outwardly, temporally, were quite good. And, of course, they were involved in many, many religious activities. But God, through the prophet, was reminding them that it was all actually a sham. It didn't meet with the approval of God at all. Just because a nation is successful in material things, that doesn't mean to say that the blessing of the Lord is upon them. What God seeks for is righteousness and holy living. Righteousness exalted a nation, but sin is a reproach unto any people. And Amos was highlighting the sins of the people. And uh, as we come to chapter 6, it may be worth reminding ourselves that in chapter 4, the Lord had sent terrible things upon the people. Famine, drought, destruction of crops, sicknesses, defeat in war, and there was some unknown catastrophe that we don't know anything about. God had sent that upon them also. And then Amos reminded them, after all these things, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. And then in chapter 5, that we looked at the last time we were together, we looked at chapter 5, and one of the things that Amos highlighted was that the people were longing for the day of the Lord. And as we noted in chapter 5, this is the first time that term, the day of the Lord, is mentioned in the Bible. And basically, the day of the Lord in the Old Testament really was a day when God came and worked wonderfully and mightily for his people. And he would in the day of the Lord then, he would fight against Israel's enemies. And they were basically looking for a day when the Lord would come, a day of the Lord when he would reveal his great care and concern and love for his people by overthrowing their enemies. And they were longing for that day. But Amos was going to shake them out of their complacency 
And he was reminding them that they should not be longing for the day of the Lord, because when the day of the Lord was going to come, God was going to be against his people, and they would not enjoy the day of the Lord at all. In other words, it wasn't what they expected. It was a day when God had a controversy with them, with his people, and he would deal with them appropriately. Well, during that time in, in chapter 4, when he sent all these calamities upon them, wars and famines and pestilences, the Lord said to them on five occasions, Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. And really, this is what Amos is, is saying to them. God has a controversy with you, but you are to return unto him. But they were not heeding. They were not heeding the message of Amos. Well, in chapter 6, he is principally dealing here or addressing the movers and the shakers of society. As you will no doubt be aware that when terrible things happen to a nation, it's principally the poor that suffer the most. And the rich seem to survive quite well to a certain extent. And we can look even at our own situation like in recent days, what has happened? We've had the, the war in the Ukraine and as a result of that, there has been a rise in the cost of living. And that affects the poor far more than the rich. And if we just step back a year or two before that, we can remind ourselves about the COVID pandemic. That affected everyone, of course, but it affected the poor much more than it did the rich. Because in recent days, have we not heard of people who have made an awful lot of money out of COVID? And they may well have to answer for it. And these things happen, and these things were happening way back in the days of Amos. Terrible things had happened, they were outlined in chapter 4, but they really affected the poor people more than the rich people, the movers and the shakers, the, the judges and the, the employers and the people who had power and the people who had influence. Now Amos was a person who was deeply affected by social justice. And this is what he comes to say in chapter 6, because he is addressing the influential and powerful people in Judah, and also we might say Israel as well, because this is what our opening verse suggests to us. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion, that's Judah. Zion is Jerusalem, that's Judah. And trust in the mountain of Samaria. That's the northern kingdom. So Israel is, um, so Amos is now addressing both kingdoms because what's happening in Samaria, the northern kingdom, is also happening in Judah. The rich are prospering while the poor are being misused and mistreated. And in this chapter here, we find the prophet Amos brought a terrifying an uncompromising message of certain judgment 
that was designed to awaken them to repentance. And he does this in three ways, really. First, God, through the prophet, challenges their complacency. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. Then he takes away the first pillar of their security. They're relying on something else. What is it? It's their power, or it's, it's their wealth first. It's their wealth. And then finally, he removes the second pillar of their confidence, their power. Well, I want to highlight three things going through this uh, brief chapter. And from verses 1 and 2, we have entitled that, Woe to the indifferent. Woe to the indifferent. Remember, he is primarily teaching here the leaders in society, not the ordinary manual workers. He is primarily speaking to the leaders, the chief men in Judah and Israel. And first of all, God challenges them for their complacency. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. This is not a time to be at ease. This is not a time to relax. This is not a time to put all of these things to the back of your mind. Terrible things have happened. Terrible things are going to happen. And what about it? Well, you rich people, the people with power and influence, those who could be good, doing good to the, to the poor people, what are you doing? You're exploiting them and you're thinking, well, this is all going to continue just like it has. There's going to be no change. And therefore, they are at ease. They are at comfort. Everything's fine. Nothing to worry about. But that's not what the prophet is saying. And they're not listening to the word of God. And to illustrate it, he gives them some examples. Verse 2, for instance. Now, these names are maybe not familiar to us, and we don't really need to d dwell into them. But pass ye unto Calne and see... And from thence go ye to Hamath the great, then go down to Gath of the Philistines. What was so special about them? Well, they were near to Israel. They were near to Israel. And they had been captured. Now, he goes on. Be they better than these kingdoms? In other words, is Israel better than these kingdoms? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes, Israel is better. Are their borders greater than your border? No, Israel had a much bigger border. Israel was much bigger. These were basically just cities. Israel was the 10 tribes. Israel was bigger and the border was better. But the lesson they're to learn is, as these cities were overtaken, as these cities were destroyed, so would Israel be destroyed. That's the message. Look there before you, these cities, they thought they were secure, and you think you're secure also, but you're going to go just the way that they have gone. This was a warning to them. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. Ye that put far away the evil day, this day that Amos is talking about, well, it's not really going to come, is it? That's what they would say to themselves. Look at us. 
Look how rich we are. Look how prosperous we are. Look how well off we are. Look at our, look at our power. Look at our strength. Look at our material wealth. Look at our armies. Look at all of these things. Amos has just been a wee bit emotional. He's a wee bit over the top. He's been reading too many books. Who's going to listen to him? And what are they doing? Ye that put far away the evil day and cause the seat of violence to come near. Well, we are not the leaders and the movers and the shakers of society. But friends, we can ask ourselves this question. Surely uh, the question that we find in the, the opening part of the first verse Woe to them that are at ease at Zion. Are we at ease? Are we complacent? Do we have a could not care less attitude? Do we say, so what? What's this got to do with us? Well, it has everything to do with us. Are we in any sense concerned about the spiritual and moral state of the church and nation? You know, in Amos's day, the church and the nation were one. Israel was the church and Israel was the nation. And there was many people there who couldn't care less. And maybe there's many people here in our society who don't care less about the country and about the state of the church. I wonder, do we realize this is not to in any sense to puff ourselves up but how many churches today actually have this kind of meeting that we're having how many churches actually gather together for prayer Oh, we're not perfect by any manner of means and we're not going to let our heads swell there's maybe much more that we could do, but at least we're here. At least we are concerned. At least we do mention uh, our nation, and we pray for our nation, and we pray for the gospel success. These are things that should be uppermost in our minds. But friends, we must be careful that we don't in any sense feel at ease in Zion just because we undertake these things. We should be truly concerned about the state of the church. Now, we don't want to talk ourselves down. Or we don't want to talk down the state of the church. No, no, we don't want to do that because, well, we believe, and you do too, we believe in the sovereignty of God. We believe that we are here for this day and for this generation and for this time by the sovereignty of God. Now, we're not blaming God for what we find ourselves in. We're not. But we recognize this is, this is what he would have for us. But friends, we cannot be at ease. We dare not be at ease. And they were complacent. And we should be ones who petition God day and night that we would see a transformation in the church primarily, in the professing Christian church, in our own church.
I'm sure you do realize that despite what the world will, will think, we do believe in a devil. We do. We don't seek to exalt him in any sense, but we recognize we have an enemy. What does the Bible say? What does Peter tell us? That he walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He is evil. He would love to get into a, a congregation, any congregation who is seeking to truly serve the Lord in their day and generation. He would love to get into a congregation and cause problems and cause difficulties. He would love to get into a denomination and cause problems and difficulties. Don't think he doesn't want to do it. Maybe he's doing it. And let us, let us be reminded, friends, let us be reminded the devil uses Christians. Is that not what he did with the apostle Peter? Not for you to go to the cross. What does Jesus say to him, to the apostle, to the one he was going to build his church upon? Get thee behind me, Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. He saw right through him. This was Satan speaking through an apostle. Well, if that can happen in apostolic times, it can happen today. It can happen with you. God, the Satan can use you. And you've got to be on your mark. You've got to be aware. We cannot be at ease. We cannot take holidays, spiritual holidays. Oh yes, we like some recreation. We like to get away from things and that's nothing wrong in that. Jesus did that in the New Testament. He called his people away and they had a time together. But we must never realize or we must, we must always realize, always realize that we can never have a break from seeking to serve the Lord Jesus Christ in our day and generation. We can never loosen our guard. The devil would love to tear us apart, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, I think it says in Ephesians. That should be our motto, not to be at ease, but to be weary, to watch out, keep us from temptation, deliver us from evil. That's part of the Lord's Prayer. That's a, that's a petition, that's a heading. Yes, we can flesh it out and put our own words to it, but that should be part of our prayers. Lord, keep us from evil. Keep us from temptation. Who's the one who tempts you? Is it God? No, God cannot tempt. It's the evil one. He tempts. And if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, you'll know it. You might not be able to recognize it, but it will be in your experience. It will be. Because he wants to bring you down. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. And we cannot be in ease in Partick or anyone else. We are fighting a spiritual battle. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Not against flesh and blood.
but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against, wicked, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We should have this concern then. They didn't. Life was great. Plenty of money. As we shall see, plenty of things of this world. God is good to us. We have our religion, everything. We're at ease. The peasants may well be suffering, but we're at ease. Well, he goes on, because Amos has a lot to say. He goes on, verses 3 to 7, Woe to the indulgent. Woe to the indulgent. He takes away their first pillar of security. They're resting on this. They are basically saying, God is blessing us. Aren't we great? Look at what we have. Look at us. We have everything. And this is what the life they lived. That lie upon beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches and eat the lambs out of the flock and the calves out of the midst of the stall. They were feeding their faces. They were relaxing. They were having a, a good time. The poor people would lie on the ground with a mat to sleep, but not these people. They had beds of ivory, and they stretched themselves out on their couches, and they feasted day after day from the lambs of the flock and the calves out of the midst of the stall. And they go on. They chant to the sound of the viol and invent to themselves instruments of music like David. There may well be some kind of religious connotation here. Maybe that's what it's talking about. Well, we know that David composed psalms. We know that. And we know that he made instruments. But he did it in order that he might glorify God. Maybe that's what they were saying too. But they weren't as far as Amos was concerned. It was all pleasure. It was all according to their will. Not like David. David was a man after God's own heart. And what he was doing was in order to worship God. That's what motivated David. But that was not what was motivating them. Although they tried to imitate him. Now one commentator maintains that this could well be a reference to them composing their own uh, items of praise. It's difficult to be dogmatic, but maybe that is the case. But whatever. They thought they were like David, but no, they weren't like David at all. And it goes on, that drink wine and bowls. Most people, if they could drink wine, would be in cups. Not for them, big bowls. Maybe it was religious as well. We don't know, but there was a profusion of wine and excess of food eating and drinking it was all there and anoint themselves with the chief ointments they had the best deodorants they had the best of perfumes they were full of luxury they were pleasing themselves pleasing the flesh this does speak to our 
uh, generation today, friends. We've mentioned it at the beginning in our introduction. When terrible things happen to a nation, it's the poor that suffer. And the rich, well, they seem to get on very well. Things that are scarce, and the rich have them. What do they do? They put the price of these things up. They make money out of problems and disasters. They find a way. This is what was happening here. And Amos was concerned about social justice. And their whole lives were taken up with luxury, ease, pleasure, eating and drinking to excess, pampering themselves with oils and ointments, gratifying the flesh, pleasing self, entertainment. Does that not paint a picture of our world today? It's incredible. Most of us here will have uh, a smartphone, and we hope that we, we use it wisely. They are great tools, and they can be a, a great help. You have so much computing power in a modern mobile phone that would amaze uh, people 10 years ago or 20 years ago. But many people who have these things, and it may be a computer or, a, or a, a tablet or a phone, which has immense computing power, what do they use them for? Games. Entertainment. This is what's happening. Friends, we're not to be like that. We're not to be like that. That's what they were like. Indulgent, pleasing themselves while they had no care, no concern about those who were further down the ladder. What does it say? Yes, found it there, end of verse 6. That drink wine and bowls and anoint themselves with the chief ointments, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Couldn't care less. Does this describe ourselves? Many in society are really low. They're down and out. We're not movers and shakers, but by comparison, we will be well off. Now I know poverty can come by many ways, and very often it's brought upon by a sinful life. That is true. But we should have a care and a concern I'm not talking about handing out money to people, no. But we should have a care and a concern for these people. How we can help them. These people, full of indulging themselves. What does it remind you of? Surely it reminds us of that uh, 
the rich man and Lazarus in the New Testament as we find it in, in Luke, for instance. We looked at it when we went through the book of Luke. A rich man fared sumptuously every day. Lazarus was at his gate. He didn't even give him the crumbs from his table. Ignored him. Now, the rich man wasn't an alcoholic. The rich man wasn't a, a drug de dealer. The rich man wasn't a, a murderer or an adulterer. He was just someone who couldn't care less, and he just filled his belly. But what happened? He ended up in hell. Just caring about himself. It reminds you too also of the, the rich farmer. The rich farmer, he had plenty of goods and God had blessed him with more. His barns couldn't accommodate the new harvest. He had a real problem. What was he going to do? His barns were already full and now what was he going to do with his new harvest? Well, he says to himself, I'll tear down my existing barns and I'll build new ones and I'll put all my produce, all that I've got into these new barns. And then after that, I'm going to take things easy. Eat, drink and be merry. That was his motto. Well, his barns were full and he went to bed that night with his belly full. And he was maybe full of wine as well, not necessarily drink, drunk, but he had a good time. Everything was great, belly full, went to bed and woke up in hell. I should have told you the title of the meditation. It's I'm all right. I'm all right. Well, the rich man, he was all right, he thought. Lazarus, uh, uh, the rich man, and then the rich farmer, they both thought they were all right. But they ended up in hell. What a thought. What a thought. They were both indulgent. Couldn't care about anyone else but themselves. Finally, <clears throat> Thirdly, we have here from verse 8 to the, remain, the end of the chapter, verse 14, woe to the impudent, or woe to the proud, woe to the impudent. Here he is removing his, he, he removes their second pillar of their confidence, power. Power. <laughs> What was their power? Well, they were trusting in their military might. They were trusting in their, in their spears and their swords and what had happened. What do we find here? We don't have the name of it, but in verse 13, for instance, ye which rejoice in a thing of naught. What does that mean? Well, Israel had conquered Lodibar. Lodibar. And then the meaning of Lodibar is nothing. And what they were boasting is in is 
Ye which rejoice in a thing of naught, you rejoice in, in, in that you've taken low debar. You've taken that. And because you've taken that, you think you can handle anything that comes your way. Well, God is telling them something terrible is going to come their way. He's going to bring an enemy. God is going to bring an enemy. That enemy is Assyria. And that's nothing. Lodibar was nothing, but Syria, Assyria is not. And therefore, he seeks to remove their confidence in their power and in their might. And this section actually is quite terrible. Verses 10 to 11 talk about death. A man's uncle shall take him up, and he that burneth him, or, in verse 9, and it shall come to pass, if there remain ten men in one house, that they shall die. It's going to be a terrible period of death. It's going to affect all the houses. And if there's ten men in the house, they're all going to die. And there's no one around to bury them. This is what he's talking about here in verse 10. There's no one around to bury them. And a man's uncle, he'll, a man's uncle will have to come, shall take him up, and he that burneth him. They're going to burn the bodies. They're going to cremate the bodies, something that they would never normally do in Israel. They're going to cremate the bodies because if they don't do it, it's going to cause disease. And therefore, to stop that, he's going to burn the bodies and then bring out the bones out of the house because it will be far easier for this man to deal with the dead after they have been buried, he will then be able to dispose of the bones only. Terrible situation. Widespread death is going to come upon them. And shall say unto him that is by the sides of the house, Is there yet any with thee? And he shall say, No, there's no more here. They're all dead. None. Gone. Then shall he say, Hold thy tongue, for we may not make mention of the name of the Lord. This was not going to be a religious ceremony. They're not going to make mention of the name of the Lord. Terrible. Destruction. Verses 11 to 13. For behold, the Lord commandeth, and he will smite the great house with breaches, and the little house with clefts. No one is going to escape. None. Ye which rejoice in a thing of naught, well, I've commented on that already. They are going to experience disgrace and defeat. Well, all this was said to a people that had you asked them about their lives and about their prospects, they would have said resoundingly, I'm all right. I'm all right. What about ourselves? Are we all right? It's a serious question. You have to answer it. I have to answer it. 
Are you all right? The only way, friends, to be all right, as you know, is to have a Savior. It's to be in Christ. It's to have your sins forgiven. It's to be reconciled to him. This is still the day of grace. Only then can we honestly say, I'm all right. We noticed earlier, they were putting the evil day away to the back of their mind. We dare not do that. Today is a day of grace, a day when Christ would have us. Come therefore to him, be found in him, call upon him. Then you will be able to say, I'm all right. Amen. And may the Lord be pleased to bless his word to us. Let us pray together. O Lord, thy word speaks even today. Hundreds of years before Christ, Amos prophesied. Yet his word is true and relevant to our own particular situation. O Lord, help us to know that we are all right to be in Christ and to have him as Lord and Saviour. Bless our meditation upon thy word, therefore, and heed us, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To conclude, let us sing from Psalm 20, from verse 5. Psalm 20, from verse 5. In thy salvation we will joy. In our God's name we will display our banners, and the Lord thy prayers all fulfill. Thou know I, God, his King doth save. He from his holy heaven will hear him with the saving strength by his right, own right hand given. We'll sing to the end of the psalm, Psalm 20, verses 5 to the end. In thy salvation we will joy. In thy salvation we will joy. In our God's name we Chariot 
of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. <coughs> our intimations are as follows. We'll have our open-air witness on Buchanan Street tomorrow, tomorrow Thursday beginning at 1.30 p.m. That's because uh, Hunter Todd's funeral will be at noon on Friday at Knightswood Free Church continuing. And the burial will be at Cardonnell Cemetery at 1.30 p.m. The Presbytery Youth Fellowship will meet on Friday here in Partick at 7.30 p.m. And the speaker expected is Mr. Alistair Manderson. The Saturday night prayer meeting will be held in Knightswood beginning at 7 p.m. The service is next Lord's Day.